Has bitterness taken a hold of your life? Pastor Ed Taylor shares these hopeful words. Living in this sin-soaked world, journeying on the difficulties of life, every single one of us will find ourselves at the waters of Mara, if not at times camped out at the waters of Mara, times of bitterness and difficulty. And like Moses, if we're wise and cry out to the Lord, he's going to point out to a tree as well. He's going to point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, the tree that Jesus hung on. And he's going to remind us that through the cross of Jesus and his finished work for us, his forgiveness, his faithfulness, his love, his joy, his mercy, that the waters of bitterness can actually become sweet again and satisfying. And we can move on with our journey. This is amazing grace. We're delighted to be with you again today. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll join him in John chapter 15 in a moment. If I was to ask you, what does love look like? How would you answer that? Now see if it matches what 1 Corinthians 13 has to say to us. We'll learn that love is the choice of obedience rather than just some sort of emotion that changes from one day to the next. We'll also be challenged to love as God would have us. The world desperately needs that today. John chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. John 15 is where we left off. We're in this section of Jesus teaching the disciples about abiding in him. Remember we learned abiding means to stay put. It means to remain The picture behind abiding is that we're not wandering around, we're not dabbling in different things, but our place is safe and secure in Jesus Christ, where we're not going anywhere, but we're staying close to him, staying in him. And the picture that was used by Jesus to describe this was that of a garden. He talked about a vine, a grapevine, with different branches coming out of that, and that there was somebody taking care of the vine and the branches. And he declared, he, we, we learned that, that he is the vine. He says himself that Jesus, he's the vine and we're the branches, vitally connected to him. And we're being taken care of by the Father, empowered by the Spirit. And remember this section in chapter 15 of John is actually a little bit bigger because it started in chapter 14. Jesus has paused and taken some time to encourage the troubled disciples. In just a few short days... These men and the women with them will experience the worst trial they've ever experienced up to that point. They don't quite know when, but I believe they're beginning to sense the end is near or that something is up and it's troubled them. And so what does Jesus say in verse 1 of chapter 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he points them back to the foundation of faith, just like that's the foundation of your life and mine. And I shared before what I like to do when I'm reading through these 
sections of Jesus discipling, I use what limited imagination that I have. And I pretend that I'm following him. I pretend that I'm walking with him. I pretend that I can see the dust being moved by him walking, you know, unsettled. I, I, I try to picture when he was washing feet and how embarrassed that would make me for not wanting, stepping up and doing it before him. I, I, I listen to him. I want to see his eyes. I, I want to, to sense, you know, how much better it is. You know how bad emails are. You know, you send an email and, and then it's all misunderstood because they don't see your eyes. They don't see your body language. Some things just shouldn't be handled with email. They should be handled face to face. And so I'm thinking of seeing the face of Jesus when he says, don't let your heart be troubled. I don't think he's saying it. What are you? Don't let your heart. I think it's sensitive and gentle. Hey, you guys believe in God? Believe in me. We've been walking all this time. For almost three years we've been together. You trust God? Trust me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. In heaven there's a place preserved for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back. And receive you to myself. And chapter 14 is Jesus encouraging them, getting their eyes heavenward. For some of you, that's like a word from the Lord for you right now. A solution to some of the anxiety and trouble, the parts of your heart that are troubled, is a reminder of eternity. What God has in store for us. That Jesus has made promises that he's going to keep. By the time we come to chapter 15, 14 is getting our eyes heavenward. 15 is what that looks like on the earth. What does it look like now? And, and what it looks like now while we wait is to remember, as he says in verse 4 of chapter 15, Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. Stay put. If there's ever a time in the 20 plus years that I have been walking with the Lord, 25 years actually, that there's ever a time I've seen people just walking away from the Lord. It's now. Just walking away. Not, not, not dabbling, not, not just trying things out, but just completely turning their backs on the things of God. Sometimes that is reflected in church attendance, of course. You know, you may not see people around anymore. But other times it's reflected in how they choose to live their life. And I, I think perhaps we're seeing more of it because the more and more you follow people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as they share their life, you're noticing that they're not sharing a lot of life in the Lord. There's not much about the Lord on these, on, on, in their posts or what they're into now. And you start to scratch your head and go, wait a minute, wasn't that brother teaching? Wasn't that brother serving? Wasn't that sister? Wasn't she involved? And, you know, I remember her from California, you know, kind of the, the, play, the, the circle of my friends. I remember, weren't they in church? And so I'll, I'll pick up a phone and I'll say, hey, do you guys hear from so-and-so anymore? And, oh, no, they've, they've turned their back on the Lord. I mean, I got a message not too long ago of someone sharing that uh, once so strong in the things of God, once serving the Lord, they're, they're like a secular humanist now. And you just shake your head. I, while I don't know all of the reasons why, I do know this. It started with a decision not to abide in the Lord. That's where it begins. That's where we get itching ears. That's when we start to wander around aimlessly, where we start to seek satisfaction in things outside of God. And Jesus brings us back to what is going to be the place of much fruit. Remember in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And you'll be my disciples. Now, let's pick up in verse 12, where we left off last time. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life 
for his friends. Today, I want to remind us that love is the choice of obedience. Love is the choice of obedience. I'm grateful in verse 12 that Jesus says, This is my commandment. If you like to write in your Bibles, you might want to mark or make a notation that it doesn't say, This is my recommendation. Jesus isn't making a recommendation here. He's not giving a multiple choice. Hey, you know, here are the options. This is an option for you as you abide in me. Go ahead and maybe choose to love. He's not making a recommendation. He's not giving an option. He's not even saying, this is my suggestion. He's saying, this is my commandment. Now, that's good news for us. Because commandments can be obeyed. That with the commandment of God, as hard as they might be, with every commandment of God comes his divine enablement to do it. And what does Jesus command us to do but to love? Notice who he says, one another. That's the first place of love among us, the church, our family. Our church family, the church family, love begins at home. Love begins in your home. Maybe your home has become loveless lately. And the command of God is love one another. Love begins in the familial relationship and the extensions. Maybe there's been a lacking of that. God's command is to love. Perhaps you haven't experienced love within your own church family here or there. The command is to love. That is the fruit to be, that, to be flowing through our lives and our abiding relationship. Well, what is this love? Because love tends to be, in our society, tends to be associated with feelings and candlelight and just the right music and a romantic comedy. And, and that's not love at all from the Bible. Love is not primarily an emotion, although it does involve the emotions, no doubt. Love is not just in the realm of emotions. Love is always a choice. So that means whether you and I want to love or not, in the power and the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, flowing out of an abiding relationship, we can love even when we don't feel like it. You'll search far and wide in the Bible and never find God commanding us to feel anything. But God always commands us to do something. Not to feel anything, but to do something. Now, when the feelings catch up with our obedience, that's always a good thing. Love can then be enjoyed with the other person, not just with God. But here's the fruit that God's looking for in our lives and in our church. Love. What does love look like? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's just do a little review of what love looks like. What am I looking for in my life? Pick up with me in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For a quick refresher of the agape love. It's often referred to as the agape love. It's God-centered love. This is the work of God in our lives. The first three verses remind us that without love, we're nothing. So notice what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become as a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Basically, a distraction and an annoyance without love. Just a lot of noise and no harmony. Secondly, 
Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so I could even remove mountains but have not love, I am, what does your Bible say? Nothing. I'm nothing without love. I can be smart in the Bible. I can be a Bible teacher. I can have all the answers to people's questions. But if I don't have love, that's nothing. Thirdly, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Even though I do a lot of good deeds, or even taking that passage, greater love is no man is this than to give your one's life or a friend. You know, even if I give my body to be burned, but I don't do it in love, there's no profit. So what does love look like? Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up about anything. Love does not behave rudely, verse 5, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love, verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Notice verse 8, love never fails. It's a great assessment in our lives, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here in John 15, displayed for us in 1 Corinthians 13. So using that list, how are you doing lately in the realm of love? Not the emotion, not what you feel, but what's coming forth from your life. Well, in order to take a quiz like that, in order to do a real good assessment, let's do something. Let's take the word love out of the scripture and let's put our name instead. So I'll do my name. You do your name. Verse 4. Ed suffers long and is kind. Well, some of you, you just stop right there. It's like, oh, I haven't been very patient this week. Or things have been on my mind and I haven't been kind. Ed does not envy. Ed does not parade himself. It's not puffed up. Ed doesn't behave rudely. Doesn't seek his own. Ed's not provoked. Ed thinks no evil. Ed does not rejoice in iniquity. but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, Ed bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then if you think you passed, then by the time you get to verse 8, Ed never fails. <laughs> It's like, you guys, don't be laughing at me. You got to have your name in there. But I'm, I look at this and I see so much weakness in my life. I see, so much, I see so much flesh in my life on a daily basis. I see so much of myself crowding out the very love that God wants to flow through my life. I could say with absolute confidence that there's too much of Ed and not enough of the Spirit in my life far too many times. I'm certain if you were honest, you'd say the same thing about yourself. You go, Ed, but that's impossible then. I mean, whoever's name we put in there will never fit. Well, let's consider Jesus. Let's insert his name and see if it fits. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. He doesn't parade himself. Our Savior Jesus isn't puffed up. He doesn't behave rudely. Jesus doesn't seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And you've got to love this. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. That's a perfect fit. And Jesus is inviting us. And he's commanding us in our relationship with him. The very key of love in our lives is to abide in him. And it's a commandment to love one another love one another. Back in John chapter 15, the exhortation 
is there in verse 12, but the example is in verse 13. The exhortation is to love, but the example is in verse 13 where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. In John chapter 13, earlier in our Bible studies, in verse 35, we were told by Jesus that the world will recognize the church, or in more particular, the world will recognize that you and I are his followers by our love for one another. And this is where it starts, to love those that are in the body of Christ. That's who he's saying. He's not saying to love the church at large, although that is true. And he's not saying just to love our church, but he's saying you love one another on an individual basis. The body of Christ, individual believers, that's where it begins. Perhaps there's some roadblocks in your life, some difficulties. Anger makes love very hard for you. Frustration makes love very hard for you. The lack of emotions where you might even say toward a person, I don't like that person. Well, let me give you the good news of the Bible. The Bible never commands you to like anyone. (laughs) But it does command you to love. And here's what I have found. I have found out of love, God begins to restore the like of relationship. He begins to give you something that you have either lost or need to grow. Maybe it's bitterness that's taken root in your life. That's a hindrance to love. And it's true. Bitterness always causes trouble, and it always causes trials in our lives. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. It reminds me of a time in the children of Israel's lives as they were leaving Egypt. Moses, the leader, has been established and God has used Moses before Pharaoh to demonstrate the power of God and Pharaoh sends the nation, no longer slaves in Egypt. They're heading into the promised land. God has a new work for them. Very much like you and I, we are headed to the promised land. We're headed to heaven. God has delivered us. We have even more than they do that we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and we're headed into what God has and the promises for us. And there they are. They're a few days out of Egypt, it says, about three days' journey, and they're hot, and they're tired, and they're thirsty, all representative of the difficult lives that you and I can have at times. Well, we're on our journey. Now, those of you that go to Israel with us, you know down by Masada in the desert, it gets hot. It gets hot when we go in November, and it's not even the hot time of the year. And you get very thirsty, and we keep reminding everybody, you got to drink a lot of water, drink a lot of water, and it gets hot. Imagine three days' journey with your kids, with your stuff, in, in very primitive conditions. They're tired, they're weary, they're thirsty. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 15, you can jot it down, that they come to a, a place of water. And, you know, you get the picture, like, finally, I'm going to be satisfied. Finally, we're, our thirst is going to be taken care of. Or finally, I'm going to be able to take in water. And as they're drinking the water... The Bible says that it, be, it is bitter in their mouths. They, they can't take it in because it's bitter. It's, it's bad water. The Bible actually describes that place as the waters of Mara, the waters of bitterness. 
And in their frustration, uh, they take it out on poor Moses. Uh, as any spiritual leader knows, there are just those times where people will, and, and not even just spiritual leaders, it's those that are hurting. Hurting people tend to hurt people, and hurting people tend to hurt people that are closest to them. And Moses, by proximity there, representing the Lord as a leader, they start to murmur and complain against Moses. And he, this, this is going to be the pattern of his life. And this time, he responded really well, and he cries out to the Lord. He doesn't go back against them. He doesn't tell them to be quiet. He doesn't misrepresent God. He cries out to God, and God answers, and he points out a tree. And he, Moses takes that tree, cuts it down, he throws it into the waters, and immediately, the Bible says, the waters became sweet and satisfied the people. And they moved on to their journey to a place of many palms, the Bible says. And in that episode in the children of Israel, it's very instructive and representative of our lives today. Because all of us come to the waters of Mara at one point or another in our lives. Living in this sin-soaked world, journeying on the difficulties of life, every single one of us We'll find ourselves at the waters of Mara, if not at times camped out at the waters of Mara. Times of bitterness and difficulty. And like Moses, if we're wise and cry out to the Lord, he's going to point out to a tree as well. He's going to point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, the tree that Jesus hung on. And he's going to remind us that through the cross of Jesus and his finished work for us, his forgiveness, his faithfulness, his love, his joy, his mercy, that the waters of bitterness can actually become sweet again and satisfying. And we can move on with our journey. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, before we let you go, quick question here. Would you speak for a moment to those listening who are camped at the waters of Mara? What does God want them to do with that bitterness? I'll tell you, Larry, bitterness is a really bad place to camp at the waters of Mara. And anyone that has been delivered from that would be able to look back and say, what a waste of my time. So filled with frustration and anger and bitterness. And if you're camped there right now, First of all, I'm very sorry for the pain and the problems and the difficulties that have got you there. You know, first it starts with something happening to us by someone. And then we end up camping there by the way that we respond to it. So let's look backwards for a moment. There's nothing we can do about what someone has done to you or some situation that's happened. But there's everything that we can do about how we respond to it. And I'm reminded of the instruction of Jesus for you today that first came to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, where he says, remember from where you have fallen, repent and return or to repeat the first works. Go back to basics, extend forgiveness to those that have hurt you, uh, release them from their debt to you as you are also released. And, and just walk away from the waters of Mara, refuse to stay there, refuse to camp there, even though the pain most likely will remain. I did a series, and I'm actually writing a book right now. We are in the final stages, or probably mid-stages, of editing the book. It's, we don't have a working title yet, but the topic is dealing with your past, because that's really where Mara, Mara in the present is directly related to the past. And we're working on this book. It's something along the lines of 
being set free from your past. If you want help with forgiveness, anger, and being set free from your past, reach out to me directly. Email me, ed at edtaylor.org, and mention that. You want resources on forgiveness? Ed at edtaylor.org, has to be .org, and I'll send you a whole list of resources that the Holy Spirit can use in your life. A good word there for us to take to heart. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go is to download our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor. With Pastor Appreciation Month in mind, we've selected a book that we believe will be a great encouragement to your pastor. It's Ed Taylor's book, Sure and Steady, Learning and Growing in Pastoral Ministry. Topics include your personal walk with the Lord, the heart of a pastor, serving the people, using your time well, and inviting yourself into the lives of others. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877 Grace. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.